Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 276, recorded October 21st, 2017. Today we're taking on two different takes of what happened during year four. One being the end of the IDW year four miniseries, issue number six. And then we're going to go back in time a little bit and see how Gold Key envisioned year four with uh, issues 21 and 22 of that series. Now, they never actually called it the fourth year, did they? No, no, no. not at all. They're just the continuing adventures. Right. And who knows, Which really? Could have been it could have been, been in between the uh, years one through three, for all we know. Right. But Ad- I- adventures that we didn't see on TV. It's possible, Ken. Or it could just be an alternate universe where people are (laughs) not as intelligent as they are in the other universe. (laughs) Not as intelligent. (laughs) (laughs) They are pretty schlocky, aren't they? Although they have their own charms. But they are pretty schlocky. I enjoy them. They came out back when I was before I was born, so I give them some some leeway. Well, of course, so do I. But your comment because people weren't as smart back then, right, Ken? It took. took What are you talking about? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all were all eating lead paint and stuff, you know. Oh my god! <laughs> all that lead paint chips I was eating off the wall when I was a kid. Damn it! Right, right. Of course, it does explain a few things. So, anyways, um, these aren't the best stories. These three. But, no, they're uh, not. But they're they're kind of cute. Yeah. Now we'll we'll get into it. Um, I just wanted to just mention quickly. That enjoying Discovery, uh, we're up through episode four? Is it four or five? Um, four. Okay, five. we just saw the one where Lorca was uh, captured by the Klingons, and we got a new member of the crew. Hmm. And uh, so I'm liking the way it, where it's going. It's, it's good. Yeah, better than I was expecting. I, I was kind of prepared for the worst, so it's nice. <sighs> You were prepared for the worst, and and going, but still, it's Star Trek, so it's going to be good. You just you weren't going to be as excitable about it, but right, I I, I, I too had a similar kind of uh, thought process. I mean, I at one time I said Star Trek Five was my favorite Star Trek. So what? I'm I'm willing I, I'm willing to look, overlook flaws sometimes. Can't wow! Me? Wow! <laughs> well, it was probably my favorite because that was the only one we had on VHS. So. Oh, so you watched it a lot. <laughs> yeah. You had ready access. It was the easiest one to watch. Exactly, yeah. Uh, I, it was one of my favorites because of the Uhura dance, fan dance. Uh, uh, that's a joke. Yeah. Anyway, back to these, uh, back to these issues. Right. Yeah, so these, uh, like I said... It is kind of interesting to see what, uh, what you know, forty years difference in in comic book storytelling mm-hmm. is. So, I mean, we got the year four, which came out in two thousand seven, 
and then 21 and 22 came out at the end of 1973 and the beginning of 1974. So um, it's interesting to see how how the medium has changed in those in those decades. Yes. However, there's there's still a bit of schlock. I was I was just about to say they take <laughs> it more seriously now, but then I remembered what happens in the year for issue six, and yeah. I, had, I had to not say that. I think I think <laughs> issue six has a little gold key esque schlock in there. Yeah. So you want to let's talk about the story first, and then we'll we'll compare and contrast. How's Sounds that? good. Sounds good. All right. So year four number six came out December of two thousand seven. It was written by David Tishman, art by Gordon Purcell, letters by Leonard O'Grady, color assist by Mario Boone and J.K. Woodward, letters by Robbie Robbins, and edits by Andrew Stephen Harris. There's three covers. The first one is kind of the comic booky cover, which shows the Enterprise kind of whizzing through the page, cutting it into two different pictures. The upper part of the page shows McCoy and Ahura holding a baby each in what looks like a nursery of some sort. And then the lower half of the page shows Kirk going through a laser grid of some sort, maybe like in a Mission Impossible type heist. That or he's getting shot at by a bunch of people at once. Cover two is the more realistic painting cover. It shows Kirk holding the huge phaser rifle from Where No Man Has Gone Before. And then we also see Ahura and Rand uh, looking at the reader. And then behind all of them, we see a UFP flag in the background. And then the third cover is a sketch cover of the second one. So the story starts with the USS Pasteur uh, going missing, and the Enterprise travels to the Gobi system to find what happened. When Kirk is readying the boarding party, a woman named Lieutenant O'Hara requests to join since her brother was captain of the Pasteur. Kirk agrees and they all beam down. Soon after, the landing party is incapacitated and then imprisoned by a Rosie the Robot knockoff. Eventually, they find a room, and this is where the robot refers to something called the Merchandise. When they see what the merchandise is, they find out it's babies. Lots and lots of human and alien babies. Meanwhile, Spock and another landing crew beam down. Uh, Spock is able to prevent himself from being incapacitated using some tricorder magic. Meanwhile, Kirk learns that the babies are actually recreations of the pastoral crew using their DNA. Kirk fights with the nanny bot while O'Hara looks at all the babies and eventually finds a boy that looks just like her brother did. She holds up her cloned brother and he coos. Kirk and McCoy are losing the fight with the nanny bot when suddenly it is hit by an electrical blast. Their savior is not Spock as we all had expected, but instead it's actually a young white-haired Vulcan woman named Aiden. Aiden was from one of the previous batches of merchandise that the caretaker robot had decided to raise for herself. The robot dies, telling the young woman how proud she is of her. Later, the babies are all shipped to a Federation orphanage somewhere, except for the O'Hara clone. He will be raised by his, I guess, sister? 
who the Enterprise is taking to Pacifica. The story ends with Spock and Kirk ganging up on McCoy and pointing out to McCoy that he is a doctor and not a whole host of other things. The end. How interesting. So, Donovan, could you describe what Rosie the Robot looks like? Uh, yeah. Well, which, the real Rosie the Robot or this weird-looking thing? <laughs> Avatar. Yeah, her name is Avatar. I didn't mention that. But she is a very muscular-looking woman uh, <laughs> with a white white wig of some sort. But her face looks like a tin can with some magic marker facial expressions painted. Which move? Excuse me? Which move? Which move? They move. Her facial expressions. She does have oh, facial do expressions. They? Yes. Oh, okay. But they do look like they're drawn on, uh, onto a blank tin can. Right. How do they move? Uh, when she gets shot in the back, you could see her eyes look like little. They they, they look uh, different sized. And then uh, there's her. You could see her mouth is slightly downturned. Well, just look at the book. Yeah, I'm looking at it. Uh. it it's not like it's incredibly expressive because it is supposed to be a robot, but. Um, it does change, and she looks like she's a linebacker or something. She is huge, or a WWE wrestler or something. And yeah, I guess she's a wrestler, got, yeah. And she's got a June Cleaver hairdo. Uh, right. Out of, you're right out of the 50s or something. And uh, I, just, I just find her disturbing. Right. She's yeah. disturbing. Very looking. muscular. <laughs> giant mammillary glands. <laughs> True. Uh, Non-functional, uh, I assume. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but why would they even... I mean, oh no, man. This this story is all over the place. Yeah. Well, it's so this is sort of sh- She name. is the schlock. <laughs> yeah. So what? why did, why did they even bother making her look like uh, a hulking woman? Why did they even bother the, 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 the constructors of her? Right. Anyway. But whatever. That, so that's her, odd, I don't know. odd motivation. Odd motivation. Um, and talk about odd motivation. Why exactly did um, uh, what what was the girl's name? The uh, Aiden. Aiden. Why did Aiden shoot her own her own mother? I mean, or the only thing that is like a mother to her in the back. The only thing I can think of is that she knew that you know these are people just like she was, and okay, so that she sold off the slavery or whatever. Okay, so this is the only mother she ever knew. She was raised by this thing. But she was – because I don't think – unfortunately, I don't think – morals are not universal necessarily, and they're learned, I think. think. And the only morals she would have learned is from Avatar. Okay, whatever. Right. So I don't – I don't know. It's it's kind of like, ooh, Avatar is going to kill those two two men that I've never seen before. I have no no relationship to them at all. Yet I will destroy the only quote living thing that I've ever known. That's kind of sort of a mother to me. I'm not buying it. Anyway, no, it doesn't make sense. No. Okay. It also doesn't make sense why Spock's able to just force himself not to be incapacitated by the the weird noise. Yeah. Well, he's ma- he's magic Spock, I guess. 
So explain to me the USS Pasteur. Is it uh, is it the first Federation ship to have a Gorn crew member? Oh, you see a a Gorn a Gorn baby. There's a Gorn baby. Is that what it is? Yeah. Uh, oh my God! It is a Gorn baby. baby. Good point. Okay, so Andorian. Okay, that's cool. And then a and then two human looking babies, and then a Gorn. Uh huh. I agree. How would there have been a Gorn on there? Huh. <laughs> right. And there's also uh, I forgot the name of the species, um, but the the little dudes that need the the vapor blown in their face from right. Star Trek: The Next Generation. Yeah. I was thinking that that their species isn't supposed to be around yet. So are they? Should. Oh, was there another picture with a blue bait? Well, uh, the Andorian, you, but if you go back to page, uh, if you go back a couple of pages, it's a two-page spread where they're looking into the through the window. Uh, okay. Uh, 10, 10 and eleven. Ten, eleven, ten, eleven, ten, eleven. Uh, it shows one of those babies with the little vaporizer thing. Oh, on the left. Okay. Well, I mean, just because we didn't actually see them until oh yeah, I see it, I see it. Um, just because we didn't see it doesn't mean in Taws doesn't mean they weren't around. Right. I was thinking that they were saying that he was like one of the first ones, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I don't remember that, but it's possible. It, they might have said that. It's been a while since I saw that episode, so oh. take that with a grain of salt. There you go. Uh, so let's see. Um, I thought this was a interesting issue showing Kirk and all his uh, aerobatic fighting. I mean, there's nah. one, one shot where he's jumped straight up, maybe five feet straight yeah. up in the air. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. That's right. Um. Yeah, it's 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 very impressive. It's like, isn't that like Jessica Jones like jumping? Or okay, maybe not the Hulk, but that's <laughs> that's pretty good. No, oh, Captain America jumping. There you go, Captain America jumping. Yeah, you definitely don't want to uh, play basketball with Kirk. Apparently He's not. To rule the court. I guess uh, that white man can jump. Indeed. Indeed. Another thing that, that they brought into this comic directly from uh, the show was pain. Yeah. <laughs> Kirk pain. That was great. So Kirk's face uh, and body clenching up, you know, you know, just, just right. I don't, I don't remember the episode of, of Taz, but you know there was one or two or maybe even the three where uh, the director said, give us pain, chat. And he gave it his all. And, that, and they recreated that in, on, on a page of this book. Yeah, it's on page four. Yep, that's right. When they hear the dreaded sound, hey, I it would drive me nuts too. I would feel pain if I kept on hearing that. It must be pretty loud. I guess so. So, why do you think they picked the name O'Hara? Ah, I don't know. Oh, now she doesn't look Irish. No, and but I mean. I don't know. I, I was wondering, did they ever say, is the pasture ever mentioned? Maybe they knew, they already knew who the captain was and had to kind of give her that name. Um, I do not. I think I think I might have heard a reference to the pasture, but wasn't that like a medical ship or something? Yeah, in the next generation. In next gen, it's right? A, it's a medical ship that, that yeah. really crusher 
There you go. Captain of. That okay. That that all makes sense. The one that's got the globe on the front of it instead of a saucer. Right. 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 Uh, no, that's the only reference I recall to the pastor. Yeah. So you're trying to think O'Hara was a character or refer- referred to? Well, I was wondering. I don't know. Just when I was reading it, and you know, she's she's a darker skinned woman with dark hair, and mm-hmm. and he refers to he's a, he calls her Lieutenant. O'Hare, and when I was reading it, I read Lieutenant Ahura. Oh, I was like, that's that's not her. She's wearing a blue uniform. And then I had to go back and reread it, and I'm like, I wonder why they named her something so close to Ahura's name. I don't know, but uh, I mean, she looking at the baby brother, um, it looks like they might be uh, uh, black folk, right? But uh, so I can kind of understand the. uh, Potential similarity to Ohura. Yeah, I don't know. Interesting it choices. Is, it is pretty sad that, that the whole crew of the pastor is dead. Oh, yeah. An entire crew. Of course, you don't know how big the crew complement was, but still. doesn't matter. Everybody gone. Everybody turned in to have their DNA taken. So every one of those babies, that was that's a death. Yeah. I guess so. This is a high body so, count story. It is. It is. Um... And and quite frankly, the last thing I have to say about it is, I love the cover. Uh, the one with the rifle. Exactly. Yeah, I figured you would. Love it. Now I don't love it just because the phaser, the the most awesomest weapon in all of science fiction, in my opinion. Not mm-hmm. just because of that, but because it's just a really nice painting. Um, they, I mean, it's it's kind of a Bondian kind of uh, picture. You got the alpha male. You know, with the uh, with the rifle, the phallic symbol, and then you've got uh, two hot ladies. Uh, Ahura looks cool, you know, perky chest, and she looks looks nice. But uh, Rand is just lovely, and she's kind of got a come hither kind of look to her. Um, she looks very appealing. So um, I just thought it was a very nice. It was a very nice cover, if a little. Um, I don't know. Would you call Bond sexist? Yes. Or the, the, okay, so there you go. It's in a way, it's it's a little bit of a sexist kind of cover, selling a little bit of uh, you know sex, I think. But I still love the cover. Right. Yeah, I love Bond, but that is one of the things that I don't like about Bond is yeah. that uh, it is very sexist. There you go. <laughs> There you go. Okay. But uh, but it is funny, and I didn't notice it until you mentioned it. But what is Rand doing on the cover? Is she taking her shoes off because she's you know you know that's a short skirt. Get her her knees, knees up. up to her chest and yep. What is she doing? Well, if she had shoelaces on boots, which she doesn't, I'd say she's tying her shoelaces. But <laughs> I don't know. I think she's just sitting there looking very 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 attractive. I I don't know exactly what she's doing. But it's like she's sitting on a desk or something and adjusting her boots. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. That beehive hairdo looks very nice. Lots of detail in the hair. Uh, that's good. I didn't know you had a thing for beehive ha- hairdos. I, I Well, you know, Marge Simpson uh, and uh, Rand, they're <laughs> pretty attractive ladies. If you say so. <laughs> I've got an autographed picture from Yeoman Rand. I'll have you know. Oh, I thought you were going to say Marge Simpson. I was like, mm, no, 
No. Most impressive. A cartoon character gave you a signature. How wonderful, Ken. Hmm. <laughs> no. All right. That was my last comment. Okay. Okay. Should we go out to the next one? Let's go back in time. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah. Okay. So, Gold Key, issue number 21. And this one is titled The Mummies of Hiatus, if I'm saying that right, seven. And yes, there are mummies in this one. Uh, this is November 1973, published date. As per usual, it doesn't say anything about who was the creative team. Uh, and I'm not, I mean, maybe somewhere on the web, you, you could have got some information on that, but I did not go searching. So, sorry, I don't have any of that. Uh, there is one and only cover, of course. Uh, that's how they rocked back in the 70s. And this one features mummies attacking Spock in a red shirt. Or almost like an orangey shirt, really. But a red shirt, not blue. Definitely not blue. And another guy in a red shirt, or maybe orange, that... Uh, now, he might actually be a red shirt. It's hard to tell. He's blonde. I don't recognize the guy. Um, uh... Uh, another thing interesting is uh, Spock's orange or red uh, tunic seems to have a little uh, Charlie Brown kind of gold braid on the sleeve. Uh, maybe that is accurate, but it looks kind of a little funny to me. It just caught me a little odd. And um, the tagline as these three mummies are attacking them is, Death grazes the Enterprise crew when 10,000-year-old mummies come to life. Okay, I'd buy it. It's a grabber cover. Captain's Log. The Enterprise has been ordered to Hayatus 7 to transport an alien mummy from the archaeological dig to a Federation Alien Life Studies Institute. Spock, McCoy, and Dr. Moria Starr, uh, and a red shirt guy, uh, or I mean green shirt. All the red shirt guys are actually wearing green shirts. They all go down in a Galileo shuttlecraft and by the way, Galileo, not Galileo 7, down to pick up the alien mummy. They meet Dr. Stephen Moore, uh, who is the head of the archaeological dig. He turns over the mummy that is loaded up into the shuttle. The always fashionable Dr. Starr heads up to the Enterprise with the mummy via shuttle while Spock and McCoy tour the ruins with Dr. Moore. Meanwhile, on the Enterprise, the mummy that is now in a cargo storage location with two armed guards watching over it, awakens. The mummy knocks out the two guards from behind and then walks the corridors of the Enterprise undetected and enters a computer control room where it sets to reprogramming the ship's computer that it has never seen before. It returns to the protective clear box it arose from with no evidence of its shenanigans. Later, after the guards report in and say that they were attacked from behind, Kirk orders the guard doubled, assuming someone on the ship was after the mummy for some reason. Meanwhile, on the surface, a security man mistakenly leans against a red button labeled Do Not Press, and a bunch of mummies wake up and attack uh, Spock's group. Spock and the rest of the Enterprise crew are knocked out cold after they realize the mummies have a protective shielding around them that renders their facers useless 
and the Enterprise has uh, left orbit. So Kirk tries to call to aid, and there's no response. Meanwhile, on the Enterprise, Sula reports to Kirk that they have broken orbit and lost control of the ship. They are on a heading that will take them through Romulan space. Meanwhile, the mummy awakens and attacks the guards. It quickly makes it to engineering, where despite Scotty's best efforts, the mummy plugs itself. It has a little door. It opens in its, its gut or something and takes out a red cable and plugs into the main engineering control panel. Handy, it had the right cable with it. Meanwhile, back on the planet, Spock and his party wake up in some kind of alien lab. One of the security men is strapped to the table, and the three mummies are preparing to work on him. Spock and the rest surmise the mummies are actually cyborgs, and it looks like they are planning to make more cyborgs using Dr. Moore and Spock's landing party. Meanwhile, back on the speeding ship, Dr. Starr tells Kirk and his senior staff of the history of the inhabitants of Hiatus 7 that she read about in the manuscripts they uh, retrieved from the ruins. So, civilization was advanced, but also unwise. They used up the planet's resources due to overpopulation and out-of-control technological advances. Over time, the population dwindled, and the people outlawed technology, which sealed the fate of their dying world. To save the final king of their world, a cadre of bureaucrats used forbidden technology that turned him into a cyborg. The people would see he was now half-machine. Given their cultural distrust of technology, they would not be led by a machine. Then the king told them of their only salvation, which was to take to the stars as cyborgs. Good news and bad news. Three citizens out of the crowd were selected to become the first of many cyborgs. The people finally revolted. They mummified the four cyborgs, uh, really not sure why they did that, and sealed the four bureaucrats in cylinders. The people won the right to die on their own terms as unaugmented people. Dr. Starr concludes saying that they have the king on board the ship and he is carrying out 10,000-year-old directives to take his people to the stars. Meanwhile, back on the planet, Spock and his party were able to take out the three cyborg mummies with sustained phaser fire on full power. The power drain from maintaining shields against such a barrage finally drained the cyborg mummies dry. The Romulans detect the Enterprise and lay a trap for the mighty starship. In the ship, Dr. Starr goes wacko and attempts to stop Scotty and Kirk from stopping the cyborg mummy uh, using a phaser. Kirk electrocutes her, and Scotty electrocutes the mummy by feeding power through a cable connecting to it and the Enterprise. Kirk orders Scotty to get to work repairing and reprogramming the mummy. They are able to break the mummy's control over the ship and alters course just in the nick of time to avoid the Romulan's trap. Sometime later, Kirk is entering a log entry, explaining that they return to Hayatus 7 to pick up Spock and his party and the three mummies. They finally deliver all four mummies to the Alien Life Studies Institute. Dr. Starr apologizes to Kirk for going wacko. 
Kirk tells Sulu to set course for adventure. The end. Whew. That was all that was all over the place, wasn't it? Sure was. Nonstop action. So can I admit something that I, it took twenty one issues for me to figure out? What? So it only now dawned on me that every single uh, – I'm sure there's exceptions, but most of the gold keys seem to follow the exact same structure. Mm-hmm. They, they go to a planet. Yeah. They meet somebody. That somebody then gives them a several-page backstory. <laughs> and then it comes back to the current time, and they are – Exposed to an issue and then they resolve it. It it took me that long to realize that there's always this flashback thing. Nah. It's all part of the formula, Donovan. It's all part of the formula. You got to give the backstory to the villain. Right. But I did, I never realized that it's exactly the same thing. It's always a flashback and then this person kills everybody or whatever and then. It's usually politically motivated. <laughs> politically motivated? Okay, I don't yeah. No, it seems like a lot of them, like the little prince guy, and then you know he he it, the flashback for that one was how he was, uh, you know those people were trying to kill him, and then there was the the issue where, um, what was it the 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 people who were underneath the the they were captured or whatever, mm-hmm. and and. Again, it was kind of a it was a mummy thing there too. I think the sarcophagus <laughs> thing. Yeah, yeah, I get you. Yeah, uh, so. good point. Good point. I mean, a lot of Star Trek stories are formulaic, um, even in the TV show. But you're right. I think I think you're very right. Um, this definitely is a this is the Gold Keys formula. So again, I I, I don't I don't disapprove right because you got to tell the story and the and a visual explanation of what happened in the past is better than just a talking head like you would have had in the old show right but uh, i just thought it was funny that it it took me so long to realize that hey they're all the same it's all the same story or all the same format yeah yep 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 as probably will be reinforced in the next issue. But let's not go there yet. Okay, so... so, so here we have mummies. <clears throat> yes, here we have mummies. And we, of course, have the the hottie for this particular issue, who is Dr. Star. Uh, and a very uh, stylish Dr. Star. She is. So... Is that how you envisioned everybody talking to her? Dr. Star... Yeah. yeah, probably. She looked like Dr. Pulaski to me. I don't know if it was the hair or what. Yeah, but Pulaski's hair was never that overly stylized, right? But I, I know what you mean. Like Maybe lighter hair. Volume. Exactly. Yeah, so it's like uh it's like eighties blown dry volume hair. <laughs> right. Or in this case, maybe this 70s, 70s blown dry volume hair. But I, I associate the really big hair with the 80s. But right. she does have big hair. She does. Yeah. 
And for some reason, I, what is it? Because there wasn't enough action going on? Or they had to have some filler? They decided to have her try to protect the mummy and threaten to shoot Kirk and Spock when they were trying to stop it? Not threaten. She shoots them. She, does, she misses, but she shoots at them. Well, okay, okay. but No, wait, no, she doesn't actually shoot him, because uh, what's-his-face is able to zap her. Yeah, yeah somehow Kirk okay. is able to get from a ladder where he has bare wires, power wires. He was able to jump down and get it close enough to electrocute her without her actually shooting him. So I don't know how that worked, but that's what happened. It's Kirk. He can do it. It's the shat. There you go. Uh, yeah, well... So, yeah, a lot of it doesn't make sense, but what the heck. So we got shuttlecrafts. Cool. So the Galileo. So they got that right. Um, and I also noticed that when they were doing the flashback. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, that, not this one. Um, in the next one. Okay, so I'll, I'll hold that comment for the next issue. They, they, they reuse the, um, the look of the shuttlecraft for an alien attack ship, but whatever. But that's the next issue. I'll keep that for them. Okay. So, um, should we start talking about errors? Um, or, or is that we old? can? But wait, wait one second. Okay. Uh, so, do you think this is the origin of the Borg? These dudes are the Borg, <laughs> just in mummy form instead of exposed cybernetic bits. Um, hmm? maybe. So they broke. So you're saying they broke out of the uh, biological whatever institute and um, struck out for the gamma quadrant or whatever. Exactly. That's where that's where the the one was sending the Enterprise back to the gamma quadrant. <laughs> so I'm thinking that uh, it's all connected. I don't know. You may be right. That might be. You may be right. No, I thought, I thought it was cool. And then a lot of the things they were talking about, I was like, dude, these guys are the Borg. You know, just... Well, they are. I mean, they got the shields, right? I mean, didn't the Borg have the shields? Right. Personal shields? Right. And they had to keep changing their, their phasers to different frequencies and stuff. Exactly. They didn't say different frequencies. They said different intensities. But yeah, I, I was just like, man, this is really right from the show. Yeah. I liked it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, it was still robot mummies, but I still liked it. Yeah. Well, how did you like the new uh, phaser setting? Disintegrate? Uh, combustion. Oh, yeah. Set phasers to combustion. <laughs> I don't know. Anytime I read that, I, I always think of uh, one of the one of the issues we did. You you were saying that there was three settings on a, on a phaser. Uh-huh. There's stun, disintegrate, and heat rock. I thought you're the one that said that. I thought it was you. I think it's great. Heat rock. Any, anytime I read, a, anytime I read, and they say something about changing the phasing on us on a the, the phaser setting, I'm like, according to Ken, there's three settings. <laughs> yes, and they're very, they're all very well thought through. Because there's a lot of times you got to heat rocks. Okay. In Star Trek, yes. Yes. So the Romulan ship looks like a reject from a Buck Rogers short. Um, yes. Well, yeah. the Romulans themselves, too. They're, yeah. They're 
They're very there, there you go. Or or Flash Gordon, whatever, Ming the Merciless, something. But they're they're very overstylized. And very retro. But they're very progressive. They have a female captain. There you go, with an eye patch. Right. Arr! Even females in, in the Romulan Empire could be captains. That's right. Yes. Not not the sexist federation. No. <laughs> Wait a minute. They got some they got some female captains around. No, that was not that many. wanted to be in Kirk's body so because oh, women God. were not allowed to be captains. That's well, canon. That's okay. canon. Okay. That was her that was her perception. No one was stopped from being captain. Was she try did she, did she actually say in that abomination of an episode that she wanted to be the first captain? Yes. Right. Oh, a female captain? Okay, okay. Right. But she was denied because she was a female. Well, from the glass ceiling, not because it was actually policy of Starfleet, I assume. I don't know. I think it's implied that, uh, you know, only men can be captains. Okay, well, that changed, obviously. So, and and, and that, was, that was the retro, that was the 60s. Because obviously, I mean, didn't, didn't they had women in authority uh, even on Enterprise, didn't they? Which was way in the past. Uh, I don't. I can't think of any, but no? there might have been. Okay, well, I didn't watch that one as much. Okay, but uh, definitely we do in Discovery, obviously. So, right. Captain Giorgio. Oh, good, good. I because I was I was kind of freezing because I couldn't remember her name. I've been trying. I've been practicing. <laughs> yeah, uh, Captain Giorgio, who ended up getting eaten. Oh yeah, that was horrible. That was horrible. You know, at first when they said that, it was like, "Ooh, you, you people eat your uh, the vanquished enemies," like, like some kind of cultural thing. But then, as the episode went on, they said, "Well, no, they've been stuck there for six months and they ran out of food." <laughs> so I guess it was more of a practical thing. Um, but I kind of liked it. I mean, I, I don't like the fact that they ate her. That's, kind of, that's really shocking and gross and ooky. But the idea that the other Klingons just left them there uh, you know, to fend for themselves, uh, live or die, um, and they weren't doing too got, good a job of living because of all the damage they had, uh, I thought that was pretty good. Right. I'm I'm enjoying that show. It's it's yeah. getting to be more Star Trek-y than it was at the beginning. Yeah. I can see I can see Star Trek in there now. Yeah. Okay. Okay, back to this thing. Uh this issue. Uh <laughs> Uh let's see. So, um Yeah, so when the mummy takes over the ship, I just got to say, you know, just beam him off the ship and don't reconstitute him. Just just take care of it. Just take care of it. Just put them in the pattern buffer indefinitely? No, just... No. Fl- flush the pattern buffer. Flush it. Damn it. I don't think they can do that. Then they would be destroying a soul. <sighs> he should have been dead 10,000 years ago. Sorry. He's expired. <laughs> yeah. No, it doesn't make sense. Um. Okay, so we got... We got the security guys wearing green shirts rather than red shirts. Okay. Um, always. At least always? Really? Does Skolky always do that? They have a lot of green shirts. Okay. Well, there's times when Kirk has a green shirt on. And not oh, the and wraparound thing. Green, 
And Sulu has a green shirt in this one. So. Oh, does he? Yeah. Okay. Well, whatever. Whatever. Okay. So they they uh, whatever. Gotta hate mm-hmm. that. Um. Uh. What else? Uh. Oh. So. Okay. So they said transporting the transporting the mummies might be detrimental to them. So that's why they took a shuttle down. Right. And but they never scanned them. You know, that, that's what that's what got me. You mm-hmm. know, we X-ray mummies all the time to yeah. see what's underneath the wrappings so that we don't destroy the wrappings, but right. we can still get an idea of what's underneath. Right. They have tricorders that can scan anything, yet nobody scanned these mummies to say, hey, these are, yeah, these are robots. Uh, good these point. Aren't even there are parts in there. They got parts. Metal parts. Well, by this time, it should only be metal parts because the biological parts would have would have been mummified. Away. Well, right. it's there. It's just all like, like beef jerky. It just Hard like dry it out and exactly. Then pieces should be falling off as he moves. Around. I completely agree. <laughs> but that never stopped a good <laughs> a good mummy story before, or a bad one for that matter. So. <laughs> hey Ken, there's no such thing as a bad mummy. <laughs> Especially the, the the Tom Cruise one. Okay, so okay, so I just gotta say, on the one hand, it's like, oh, I guess I guess the fact that they wouldn't transport them because it might damage us, like, okay, I guess that kind of makes sense. But if transportation wasn't pretty full foolproof, would you be beaming people around, living people around all right. the time? Probably not. And yeah, if not- it's if it's good enough to put people back together, like living, breathing people down to the cell level, it probably can handle beaming a mummy without dar- damaging it. Right. I just think they needed they needed an excuse to have not scanned them. And if they would have beamed them, then they would have yeah. They would have said, oh, well, the transporter said there was a bunch of cybernetic parts in there. Oh, you, do you think that's – wow. I think that's <laughs> – yeah, okay. That's the only reason I could think that they, they – they went that route. Uh, yeah, because really, what did the shuttlecraft bring to it? I mean, the fact that you were able to show, uh, have a few panels show the shuttlecraft flying around? Okay, but uh, the fact that Spock stayed behind and McCoy and then uh, Dr. Starr went up with the mummy? Well, you can do that with transporters. Eh, right. Uh, I don't know. Yep, I agree. It, 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 uh, like I said, I was justifying it with... with with that so with yeah they they detect the metal inside of it right yeah well they definitely gloss over that easily in the in in the gold key story (laughs) yeah uh that's possible yeah i did think that the mummies looked a lot like um uh, there's a guy called negative man oh really negative man okay and um in dc comics Mm mm-hmm it's him. Anyways, he's part of the the Doom Patrol. <laughs> of course, that's what I was thinking. Well, the Doom Patrol is kind of the uh, what what the X Men is based on. Oh, so really? The Doom Patrol okay. was a DC Comics a group of misfit young superheroes that mm-hmm. you know their uh, their leader is a uh, you know old white guy in a wheelchair. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. how fascinating. No, it's uh, there's they they've pretty much admitted that they copied the X Men off of, or the X Men copied the Doom Patrol. 
But uh, but obviously X Men is much more popular than Doom yeah. Patrol. The most famous Doom Patroller is Beast Boy from mm-hmm. uh, who who went on the Teen Titans and stuff. So most people know who Beast Boy is. Oh. Okay. Okay. Because Beast, I saw something about Beast Boy being um, casted, uh, so they got an actor to play Beast Boy in yep. some. Yeah, for the Titans TV show. There you go. That one. Okay. Yep. Hmm. Pretty good stuff. So that's going to be Robin and uh, Beast Boy and and that kind of thing. Yeah, Starfire, Raven, Cyborg. Uh, Cyborg won't be in it. Okay. Because he's he's Justice League now. Right. Okay. He got he got promoted. Oh, so Cyborg was originally uh, a Teen Titan, mm-hmm. and then at some point they just made him grow it up, and he's a Justice Leaguer. Okay. Right. Huh. So they needed some diversity on the Justice League, and they're like, hey, "We can move this guy. He could be our new tech guy." Okay. Yeah, I don't know why they moved him up. He he's a popular character, so that's probably why. Uh huh. Yeah. Voiced by Ernie Hudson in the old Super Friends cartoon. Ernie Hudson's from uh, Ghost. Yeah, I know Ernie Hudson, but I did not remember there being a cyborg in the old uh, Justice League cartoon. Yep. One really? Season. Okay. Because I remember watching. Well, I I didn't watch it religiously, but I do remember um, a fair number of episodes. Huh, okay. Maybe I missed that season. Okay. So it's not all great, kid. It, it, you know, no. it's still better than the Star Trek animated series as far as what? quality of the what? animation. The animation is better. I'm not. I'm, I love the animated series, but the uh, animation is not great. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'll agree with that. <laughs> I agree with that. Okay. So that's all I got to say about this one. Um, my one thing is, um, a few times it shows the Enterprise, you know, doing its warping out of control thing, and mm-hmm. it looks really weird the the proportions are all wrong with the the neck of the engineering or the oh yeah i mean it's hmm. like super i know i know what, long you, I know what you're talking times, about like as long as the nacelles um pylon things so yeah what it was moving at hyperspeed yeah which didn't make sense no. they were able to stop on a dime though yeah or a turn on the dime yeah thank oh. goodness otherwise it was romulans would have got him yeah, one more thing that I noticed. Um, there was a part when the three when the three mummies exit the uh, three glass coffins and starts attacking Spock's party. Um, Spock says something that seems kind of McCoy-ish, and then McCoy says something that uses the word illogical. So I'm kind of wondering if they got the uh, bubble swapped. Oh, really? Where was that? What page? Okay, here it is. Yeah. So it's page, come on, uh, like maybe page uh, six or seven. So right after that guy uh, accidentally backs up against the button that, was, that he shouldn't press, and then the mummies start coming out, mm-hmm. um, Spock says, the mummies, they've come to life, but that's impossible. And then McCoy uh, says, illogical. It is obviously happening. Good point. Maybe he's just being sarcastic. Maybe yeah, he's being sarcastic, but that sounds like a swap to me. Agreed. I mean, I don't think Spock would say anything's impossible. 
Or right. at least in this kind of context, I don't think he would. And certainly, unless McCoy was being sarcastic, he would not say that's, – that's a very Spock thing to say. No, it makes more sense to go the other way. Yeah. Just thought I mentioned it. Okay. Now I'm done. All right. Well, then let's move on to 22, which is entitled Siege in Super Space. Not subspace, which is – I kept having a hard time because I kept – when I was writing it and reading it, Mm -hmm. reading subspace. Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, no, no. It's super Super space. space. Yes. Whatever that is. Yeah, well, we'll find out here in a second, Ken. Okay. And it's very looking forward to it. Scientifically accurate. <laughs> science, man. It's science. Go ahead. All right. So this came out January of 1974. So uh, there is no writing and art staff in the credits, but uh, all of the art from the Gold Key stuff is Alberto Giolatti, uh, I believe is how you pronounce his name. And this cover, and I think he did a lot of the covers, is uh, George Wilson. But I don't know who the writer was. So the cover shows uh, three Starfleet officers, one wearing gold, another wearing green, and one wearing a red jumpsuit-looking thing. Uh, They're trying to escape two giant Cyclops plant creatures. Really reminded me of uh, Swamp Thing, the the creatures did, kind of gnarly plant things so the story starts with uh, Spock asking to do some ship repairs because the pressure gauges are all off Uh, the Kirk agrees and they make orbit around a asteroid but then suddenly they are sucked into a black hole Kirk not knowing what a black hole is is surprised when the Enterprise is unable to pull away and is instead sucked into it Instead of being crushed, they find themselves in another dimension called Superspace. Needing to make repairs, they find a nearby planet and make orbit. Uh, Kirk, McCoy, and Ahura beam down to look around while all the techies up on the ship fix it. Once they are on the planet, they meet up with a woman named Bruana, who is being chased by large plant creatures. The crew is able to disable the creature with their phasers. She then explains the origins of these creatures. Many years ago, the people of the planet created the ultimate weapon. The ultimate weapon eventually turned against its makers and attacked everything, killing anything it could anything it could find. The people had to retreat to the underground caves. Sometime later, a spaceship was attacked in orbit and then crashed on the planet. Uh, The pilot was able to set off a nuke that somehow infused the ultimate weapons controller with the planet that can then create monsters, and it's all controlled by something called the Mind Module. Ruana and her boyfriend were recently attacked by the creatures. Uh, They killed her boyfriend, and he was able to give her a bracelet that he had been working on with all the trinkets he found on the surface. So back in the present, she takes the crew to the underground city. The leader of the city is not able to help Kirk find a way to get out of superspace, but he hopes Kirk can help them. Suddenly, the city is attacked by the monstrous plant creatures. Kirk and Ruana try to lure the creatures into a river. 
but the creatures are too smart and they don't fall in. Kirk then realizes that her bracelet lights up every time the creatures are close. He then has an idea. He rips the bracelet off of her arm and throws it to the ground and destroys it with a phaser. When he does so, all the creatures' heads explode. Kirk keeps the remnants of the bracelet, which obviously ended up being the mind module, and then he returns to the ship once he knows that the people are safe. He uses the bracelet to somehow trigger a black hole in a nearby star and then travels back through it into regular space. The end. Wow, another story that makes perfect sense. However, I do like the original, uh, the initial page of the comic. Uh, where the, the, like the, the teaser page? Teaser page. Yeah, the teaser page. Mm-hmm. Uh, where it actually set, you know, shows the title, uh, you know, Siege in Super Space Part, Part, oh, actually, um, yeah, Siege in Super Space uh, Part 2. Oh, you're you're t- the yeah. Actually, so it's it's not the original one. It's the it's the sec part. It's the splash page for part two. Oh yeah, yeah. I figured you'd bring this one up. <laughs> <laughs> so it shows the this is when the creatures are breaking into the underground city and uh-huh. laying uh, waste. All laying waste people. to everything, and there are people that are are hurt, maybe even dead. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lady. And the Lady. only thing you can see, the only thing you can think, all this destruction, death, and all you can say is, I see London, I see France, I see some dead woman's underpants. <laughs> That's what you're thinking. I'm not sure about the first part of it. But uh, definitely, I'm looking at this thing. So it's got like like Cyclops, killer trees that are giant, shooting mm-hmm. beams of uh, of destruction, and and explosions everywhere. And my eyes go right to the bottom of the page. So... So they're they're showing this lovely lady who's like on the ground, maybe maybe dead, I don't know, but you know she's she's well proportioned, and the angle is basically you're you're looking right up her short skirted dress, and mm-hmm. it's an odd shot. It's an odd shot. I mean, wouldn't isn't that like? Uh, I mean, isn't don't. Didn't people in the 50s put mirrors on their shoes to be able to get shots like that, <laughs> views like that? And they just put it right in the middle of the comic. I just, I just think it's odd. It was a very odd uh, picture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's an upskirt shot of this poor dead woman. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, we don't know if she's dead, but she's not moving. <laughs> right. But, yeah, it's like, oh, oh, I wonder, huh, okay. So yeah. I, I guess the gold key folks slipped something interesting past the censors or something. Right. But you know what's funny is that um, all they would have had to do was color her legs blue so that it looked like she was wearing pants instead of uh-huh. a skirt. And yeah. neither one of us would have said anything. No. But because it's definitely a skirt and it's definitely the angle it is, it, it makes the picture worse somehow. Well – yeah, because at first I thought she was a member of the crew, like she was a, a member of the landing party, because right. it's blue, and it, it's a, it's a short skirt, so it almost looks like a female Star Trek, uh, you know, dress, standard right. dress. 
but she isn't. I double checked. <laughs> she well, just has. She's wearing, she's wearing elf shoes. So she's got elf, kind of elf shoes exactly. But it's like, I mean, if if Ahura was in a position like this, then it would look the same way, right? Probably. Yep. Anyway, only. Yeah, no, it's, just, it's a weird shot. It's okay. it's it's a weird picture. Okay, so I guess I've I guess we've obsessed about that enough. Uh, let's see what else is interesting in this one. Can we talk <laughs> about the black hole that that uh, Kirk doesn't a, know anything about? A captain of a starship doesn't even know hasn't ever even heard the term before. Exactly. Well, yeah, let's talk about that. That's amazing. Yeah. So I didn't go into it, but Spock is like, "Have you ever heard the term black hole?" And Kirk's like. Black what? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and maybe, you know, maybe back in the 70s, it wasn't as much of a staple yet. Sure. I mean, the theory of black holes ha- were, was around back then, obviously. But maybe people didn't know it as well. And certainly they were rating this for kids. So. Sure, absolutely. But it's just com- it's completely struck me as whacked. Right. There should have been another way to have Spock explain it to him without um without having to make Kirk look stupid. Yeah. But his his explanation as to what the black hole is was actually pretty good about how, you know, a star goes nova and then collapses in on itself and yeah. then creates a, a a a gravitational anomaly and I mean, I was like, "Yeah, it's pretty good." But then they fly through it, so then I'm <laughs> Yeah. Now you're out again. Yeah, and then, and then they fly through it without being crushed to or being ripped to shreds, uh, right. and then condensed into tiny molecular size, um, the whole ship, and they're in uh, what? Not hyperspace, superspace. Superspace. Super okay, so in superspace, uh, there's this planet that looks more or less like a normal planet. Except it's got huge gargantuan killer trees. Other than that, it looks like a normal alien world. Mm-hmm. So, what made it super space? That's just the other dimension. That's that's what they named this dimension. Okay. But yeah, they they seem very like oh, of course this is this is uh, this is super space. Okay, so you're in a, you're in a very different place, but of course you've got uh, aliens that are on the planet that look just like humans. Right. Yes. Okay, that's fine. And when they talk about the uh, the alien armada that attacked the planet, uh, they have a panel that shows uh, al- many alien ships uh, in in orbit above, and there's lots. They're they're shooting their their weapons or whatever, and it just they got like four of them like flying like one right after the other. I, I guess that that's was a the formation. Same one flying really fast. Oh, is that what they were? Well, I don't know. that's okay. That's your interpretation, and yeah, you may yeah, be yeah. right. You may be right. I I took them as four different ships, but if you look at them, it's basically a shuttle, a, a, like the Galileo shuttlecraft, with a few extra parts added on. Yeah, they added a couple extra wings and stuff. Not yeah, really it, wings, but little well, yeah. So so, uh, the Galileo has that. It's just they made it longer or wider, so it stuck out further. Right. Yeah. So. Galileo has a little stubby, stubby kind of sort of. They're not really wings, but it's right above the nacelles, and and then they got these two like like tubes coming out the front. I assume that's supposed to be the guns. Whatever. Right. So. Yeah, they have the same thing coming out of the back, but 
from the back one, it could be just like, you know, speed thrust or something showing that it's moving really fast. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what it's called. Speed lines. (laughs) Yeah, maybe, maybe, but yeah, you're right. It could be, that's weird that their, uh, their attack pattern is to fly around in single file to attack the planet. If it is multiple ships. Yeah. Drag doom or dragoom. So that's the, the sound it makes when they're shooting their guns. Drag, dragagoom, dragagoom. There you go. So, did you understand how the uh, the nuke from the down pilot ship formed the the mind module? Does that make any sense to you at all? No. Okay. So it's no. not just me. Uh, we can only guess what happened next, but we suspect that the mind module, which controlled the machine, somehow survived. Oh, well, okay, so the mind module will control the machine. But then how did it start controlling organic plant life? Um, since the mind module had been programmed for self-survival, it protected itself by genetically altering. Okay, this thing has no hands or arms. Genetically yeah. altering the vegetation to create an army of vegetable creatures like the ones we encountered earlier. But it's a, it's a tiny little horseshoe thing that yeah. ultimately ends up on her bracelet. Yes. And yet, it's able to do all this. So, yeah. So, not only does it have enough power and silicon, whatever, to processing power to be able to have a mind, but somehow it's able to manipulate, um, at a genetic level, uh, the local flora and fauna. Yeah. Does that make sense? No. I don't buy it. Didn't no. buy it. No. And what about this uh, three-panel, you know, hero guy, uh, like the Rocketeer? Mm -hmm. So the the Galactic Space Patrol vehicle lands just in the middle of this whole story. There's, oh, Oh, we we got a Galactic Space Patrol guy, patrol guy. The one that sets off the nuke? Yes, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, uh, and there's only one picture where we see him, and he looks almost kind of like the Rocketeer. Yeah, he's got a bucket helmet, yeah. He's got a bucket helmet, and he's got a backpack on, which is probably not a jetpack, but still. He looks a little bit like the Rocketeer. Were you a big Rocketeer fan? Uh, well, I, I liked it. I liked the movie, although it was pretty old-fashioned. But, yeah, I like I liked the movie. Yeah, it was good. And I remember, you know, the, the iconic... Um, was that a comic? Was that a serial? I, I forgot what it was originally. I never saw any of that, but I remember like like seeing pictures and things with the Rocketeer. Mm-hmm. Where whenever that came out, the fifties, forties, whenever. Uh, well, the original comic came out in the eighties, but it was based in the fifties. Oh, okay. So it was a fairly okay. new comic when it when it got made into a movie. Okay, fine. So there you go. So you know more than I do about it. Uh, but I did like the movie. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Had and it, James Bond in it. The best Bond. Uh, well, the best Bond was Sean Connery. No, he's not in it. So which? Timothy Dalton. Oh, Dalton. Timothy Dalton. Oh, okay. Right, right, right. Okay. But of course, you know, uh, of course, the Rocketeer itself was the outrageous Akuna. 
from Star Trek The Next Generation. Exactly. Who yeah. almost became Riker. Was he on the list? Uh... He was. He was in the running uh, to be Riker along oh. with Frakes. But they went with Frakes. I did not know that. But they liked the actor so much they brought him back as the uh, outrageous Akuna. Do you have to, do you have to have the first part? I do. Because that, that's what didn't they refer to him as that in the comic that they yeah. had him in? Right. Like on the cover, it says, you know, enter the outrageous Okuna. That's like, oh well, I got to remember that from now on. <laughs> no, I, I I cannot say the name without <laughs> the, the outrageous in front of it. That's funny. <laughs> it's just not possible for me. Yeah, I liked him. Uh, what is his name? Billy Campbell, or oh yeah, yeah, something like that. Like that. That sounds right. Yeah, I don't uh, actually. And I think it, yeah, I think it was him who ended up starring in that sci-fi uh, TV show. Um, I think it was. I think they had like maybe two seasons, and that's it. Um, oh, it, it's like a biological outbreak kind of thing, or something up in at, at, up in like uh, Antarctica or something like that. Anyway, whatever. Uh, it, it was created by um, ex-writer for Star Trek The Next Generation that uh, co-created uh, Battlestar Galactica Reboot. Oh, really? Darkbeard. Uh, can't remember his name. Important uh, Star Trek guy, though. Uh, whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it anyway. doesn't matter. So they, in fact, the Billy Campbell and he might have known each other from, uh, you know, next gen days. If if he was involved at that early stage in next gen, he may right. have come in later. I don't know. Hey, was anyway, one of the first early seasons. Yeah. So that's the next time I saw what, Billy Campbell. It was in was in that show. Name. Yeah, and that was that that newer show came out like maybe three or four years ago. Hmm. Too bad it didn't last longer. But two years that's that's a good time. Yeah. yeah, these days. So back to this issue, though, Ken. Yeah, I know uh, we're all over the place, but so is the yeah. issue. Yeah, yeah, it's it's easy with these books. Uh, so, do you think uh, JJ read this co- comic and he was like, "Oh man, I really love this bracelet that can create black holes." <laughs> but bracelets are stupid. So why don't we just do little drops of red goo? <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good, JJ. Just as realistic that you could throw a bracelet into a sun and make it go. Uh, I mean, at least they got the sun part right. At least this one was just trying to explain that this uh, bracelet just kind of uh, sped things up or gave it more energy to make the black hole as opposed to red matter, which just makes the black hole out of anything. Yeah. My gosh, you sound critical. Yes, I'm very cynical. You know, don't even get me started on what those Klingons look like in the new show. <laughs> yeah, that whole thing about I mean, the whole thing was was BS. You know how they got back and and but isn't it interesting that Kirk doesn't know what black holes are, but he's coming up with the <laughs> ideas too how to use science. So it's not just Spock, big brain Spock, saying, "Well, Captain, if we use." The power of an exploding star and blah, 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 blah. No, Kirk's in there, like, coming up with all this scientific stuff, too. The guy that doesn't know what a freaking black, black hole is. Right. Anyway, he's a smart guy. <sighs> Stack a book with legs. 
there you go. Um, I think that's my last comment. Um, I thought the artwork of them going through the black hole was actually quite good. Um, looks pretty cool. Did you? Yeah. I did. I liked it. Yeah. Well, um, so what was it? Like a vor- It looked like a vortex that they were like, right. a, like an iris or something they were going into, almost like an eye. Right. But the, the Enterprise was, was just a white silhouette. Right. And then the next page, it shows like it's going through a barrier of some sort. So right. half of it's white silhouette, half of it's normal Enterprise. Yeah. Uh, it was just pretty cool. Yeah. I, I agree with you. It's depiction. It's good looking. I mean, definitely we've seen weaker depictions <laughs> right. in, in other comics. Uh, not bad. So how do you like uh, Kirk's Lazy Boy chair? Ooh, he has a Lazy Boy on there? Yeah, yeah, take a look. Or on the bridge? No, it's, on the, it's, it's when you first see him on the bridge. He's kind of relaxing in his red Lazy Boy chair. Oh, yeah, sure. It's all red, and he just looks very comfortable. He's kind of, you know, he's kind of slouching a little bit, and his, and his shoulders are a little hiked up because his, you know, his like arms are on the con. <laughs> With the straw coming out of the cup? Yeah. <laughs> he looks very comfortable. That's funny. Yeah, yeah and it's all it's all red, and you can the see the cushion. Bad. The yeah, the coloring's bad. And look at under his butt. Oh yeah, you can see the cushion. cushion. He's in a lazy boy chair. <laughs> funny. Yeah, just thought I pointed out. Uh, also, uh, Kirk says the Enterprise was built with self repair features. Oh, the pressure gauge thing. Well, okay, I haven't got to that yet. <laughs> So it was built with self-repair features. Really? It's like, so what's Scotty been doing all this time then? It's like, no. I don't remember there being self-repair features on the Enterprise. That'd be cool if it had it, because that kind of make, you know, makes sense that you'd have some self-repair. But no, Scotty's pretty much fixing everything. Right. So that's inconsistent. And then, uh, yes, so the malfunction. So what Spock says, the ship is having a malfunction in the pressure gauge, the pre- a ship like that probably has pressure gauges all over the place. Which one are you talking about? And that's a really important pressure gauge. Right. I don't know. You got otherwise you pop. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. It, it just seemed like bringing the uh, it, where next gen will go ahead and do techno babble that goes off the charts. This, like, brings it back to Joe the Plumber talk or something. Yeah. Again, it was the 70s and it was for kids. Yeah, there you go. Us old guys weren't supposed to be reading these and and nitpicking it. (laughs) Okay, that's right. Okay, that's it. That's all I wanted to say. That's it. All right. Well, next week, Ken, we're going to be back in year four, right? We're going to do the the second year four IDW series. Yes. Yes. So. I forgot what it's called. It has a subtitle, but it's written by DC Fontania, so I'm actually kind of looking forward to it. Me too, because I do like her. So she was a script editor turned uh, writer. Was that right. it? For the original series, right? You're right, for Taz. Yeah. So. And she wrote most of the – I think she wrote a good chunk of the uh, animated series. So. Cool. It'll be interesting to see her revisit something that she's already did with once. Right. Being with Year 4. So. Right. And I, I think she wrote – the best year three uh, episode, the Enterprise incident. Mm. Of course, okay. he didn't. There wasn't a lot of competition, though. <laughs> you hate, you hate that season. Well, other than the Enterprise inc- incident, I can't really think 
of a truly good episode. Uh, I'll do. I'll look. That'll be my challenge. I'll try to find some other good one. Okay. The the closest to a decent one after that is that one where they go into the library, and then through the library they escape into the planet's past. Oh yeah, the one where Spock has baby. Uh, yeah, yeah, I forgot. I know what. You're yeah, that about. one. Right. So, that's the next best one. But even that one isn't that good, in my opinion. Okay, so you you go look and you let me know. All right, we'll do. All right, well, thank you everybody for listening, and we'll be back next week. Thanks for joining us, everybody. On the review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review.